Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. I'm wearing my cross training is not a crime, although it's all bubble there. If you're watching YouTube, you got to check that out. But yeah, it's going well. We're cross training a lot these days. Yes, it is uh, depths of winter here. Actually, no, it's not even depths. It is just the beginning, but I already kind of feel like it's depths of winter. Uh, it's getting getting challenging. So yeah, the more tools you have, I think the more enjoyable and adaptable you can be. Yeah. And I mean, we did talk about this episode's coming out right around like the heart of the holidays here. So we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago, the little bit of like a uh, permission to maybe not stick to the, you know, three hour ride or four hour ride. If you also have a holiday party and a Christmas parade and, yeah, you know, XYZ. Stuff out, planning it out. Uh, and that's where cross training actually does make life very easy. You know, lots of walking, lots of strength training, lots of just like little, little moments for movement. And that's actually a lot of what we're talking about today with our guests. We have Colleen and Jason Wachab from Mind Body Green. I am so excited about this one. That's right. Yeah. And they're great website, great podcast. Yeah. Mind Body Green has been around for a really long time. It was like one of like the health, wellness, longevity websites. They have a great podcast. Um, I listen to it all the time. Super cool guests. Um, and they actually just came out with a book called The Joy of Wellbeing. And I really like this because I think Honestly, a lot of the longevity conversations that have been happening these days, I mean, I think it's all really positive, but I do think some of them kind of make it set up so that longevity and all the stuff you kind of have to do for it doesn't seem super fun, right? Like there's a little bit of this like, okay, well, you have to do, you know, X, Y, Z as far as training goes, and you shouldn't be doing, you know, ABC, uh, you know, whether we're talking about like it depends on who you're talking to as far as like where alcohol is concerned. But a lot of the, you know, I think it's Peter Atia is just very like no amount is good. Like just cut it out if you, if you want that longevity. Um, so I, I just feel like a lot of it feels very harsh and almost hard. So I do like their mindset of, you know, this should actually be like really positive. Uh, we want to live long, but we also want to live you know, happily long. Well, I guess. Well, so. yes. Yeah. yeah, it's in the name. Wellness. Well, and joy as well. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I really do enjoy their their take on uh, on drinking is uh, do day drinking instead of night drinking. Okay. okay. Which, you know, deeply appreciate lunchtime sure. margarita. Um, point being not having alcohol super close to bed, which we do talk about in this episode. I think it's a really good one. And also, so Jason kind of started with basketball, then got into yoga when he was having back problems, but then... Uh, as he got older, actually kind of shifted more towards like a strength focus. And we talk all about, you know, the importance of strength training, especially as we get older, all of the, uh, you know, potential downsides of not doing strength training as we are aging, I think mm. is probably one of the the major takeaways from this episode okay. uh, as per your, your shirt here with our. Yeah, that's right. Cross training is not a crime. Yeah. It's at the consummate athlete shop. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, really the thing is, you know, moving towards these other movements and trying to keep movements right and i think that sometimes what gets missed with strength training and some of these cross training is, is definitely that you know when you're younger you can sort of jump into things but you know as we get aging you know some of these things like jumping or putting our arms over our head or these different movements can get you know lost really mm -hmm. right yeah you can get away with a lot more when you're younger too right yeah uh, and the last thing we talk about uh is actually for any of you with kids we are talking about kids in sport uh they have two young kids young girls now and uh 
I actually, honestly, the reason I reached out to them was because they just kept mentioning how they wanted to have strong girls whenever they were talking on their podcast about raising kids. And obviously I have strong girl publishing. It's like a huge thing of mine to like be, get it, you know, trying to get young girls interested in all things athletic without kind of shoving them into a lifestyle that doesn't really feel comfortable for them. So I think I'm all about the, you know, individuality, but like finding a way to make movement fun for kids, uh, especially girls. So we do talk about how they, you know, get and keep their girls interested in sport and uh, where they draw the line between healthy competition and, you know, five-year-olds getting too competitive, which is a problem, you know, everywhere. <laughs> sure. Sure. And sort of those little circles that Katie Bowman talks about where there's this overlap and there's sort of movement and then there's exercise and then maybe there's sport is like a little piece of that. Right. But, you know, everything from brushing your teeth is included in, in the Katie Bowman world of movement, which I think is a good way of looking at, you know, how are we moving through mm-hmm. the world? Uh, and that doesn't have to be competitive and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, sport, certainly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get into this episode with Colleen and Jason, definitely head over to consummateathlete.com to check the show notes. And of course, if you like this episode, do us a favor, rate, review, subscribe. All right, let's get into it. Colleen and Jason, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am so excited to have you on. I think I was saying to Colleen, I wrote an article for Mind Body Green, and it would be over 10 years ago now at this point. And it was like such an exciting moment for me when it was up there. So love everything you, you two are doing. So welcome to the podcast. I love to hear that. Thanks so much for being part of our community for for over a decade. I love it. You're a true trendsetter. Yeah, it was. It's funny. I still remember it so, so well. It was about how HRV made me start meditating. Um, And it was because having the HRV for training app that we really love made me actually sit still for two minutes and take my resting heart rate. And that actually is what like got me started finally taking the time to meditate. So Total wow. game changer. We were very I feel like very on our HRV. Like were, <laughs> you had slim pickings in terms of wearables back then. It wasn't even a wearable. It was literally the HRV for training app that used the iPhone's uh, camera to to measure. So you really couldn't just rely on your your ring or your watch or anything. You had to sit with your finger on the thing, and it messed up like fifty percent of the time. So you went from like two minutes of meditating to like ten minutes while you tried to get an accurate reading. So great for your mindset, probably not the most accurate measure at the time, but got us got us going. Um, and I mean, you two have been in all things wellness. Why don't you give just the 30 second, like who you are, what Mind Body Green is for people who have not spent hours in rabbit holes on the website? Sure. We are the husband and wife co-founders uh, of Mind Body Green. Um You can go to mindbodygreen.com to see all the great stuff we do. So that is everything from written content, like the content you mentioned, to our podcast, uh, to online education, which is primarily focused on health coaching and functional nutrition, and then to products. Uh, We have a supplement line, a personal care line, uh, and any moment now, coffee. So we, we do a lot. Everything that's kind of good for you under the sun and our definition of good is a blend of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. And our core belief is that all these pillars are interconnected. Hence, mind, body, green, one word, not three. Love it. Love it. Okay. How has it been working as a husband and wife team? My my husband and I also do this. So <laughs> I know it has its ups and downs. 
For sure. It's the only dance we've really known. And, you know, wellness for us is, um, it's our life. It's our passion. It's our life's work. Like, I don't think we could do this if we were talking about tires every day or, you know, something else, um, some other sort of business. But I, I do think you have to be, to be mindful of it. And especially now that we work in remote world, you know, we share an office of, of just the two of us. So I think we both had to cultivate our own communities now that we've moved to Miami to make sure that we do get that in-person social connection. Um, because the, as you know, like IRL community is such an important part of, of health and well-being. How do we do it? We do it carefully. Uh, <laughs> we are lucky in that we have different skill sets that are complementary. Um, we tend to agree on almost everything related to the, the business uh, without even having to consult with each other. So the, there's like alignment is very important, which we just, we're, we're, we have. Uh, and I think being complementary in terms of skill sets is is also beneficial when working together with your with your significant other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned the in real life relationships because I know that's a huge pillar that you talk about in your book, the joy of well being. Um, and I love that title. And that's actually where I wanted to start because you did have this new book recently came out. Love it so much. Uh, joy of well being. Why that title? Like that is very specific. Yeah, I think we, you know, having been immersed in this wellness world for quite some time, took a look at it and we're like, wow, I I don't really feel like I have a sense of belonging into it. Wellness can come from a place of restriction. It could come from a place of rigidity, optimization. Um, it can come from a place of protocols. And, you know, at the current life stage I am at as a mother of two, like the amount of time I have for health and well-being is not where it was at a different life stage. And I didn't feel like I could, you know, honor it with the way I was seeing wellness displayed um, across social media and, and living in New York prior, you know, there was a lot of Kardashian wellness where wellness was somewhat of an extension of the fashion world where those two worlds were starting to come closer and closer together. And I really wanted to, you know, kind of create a new definition um, and joy is just such an important part, such an important nutrient of this whole health and well-being conversation. At the end of the day, none of these habits are going to be sticky um, if there's not some fun in it. And mm-hmm. you know, it was a really conscious evolution from from wellness to well-being because we did want to shift the conversation to be less about optimization and more towards towards journey and fulfillment and and a broader mission. January 13th, I believe is National Quitters Day at the gym. So essentially we make it 13 days before we we give up. Why is that? And I think it's because we don't have a realistic check-in with our with our life. And so much of the conversation has has been about being rigid, about adding. And for us, we want to move the conversation toward editing and if you sign up for a protocol or a modality that requires too much time and does not fit into your existing lifestyle and doesn't bring you joy, when push comes to shove, you will drop it as you should. <laughs> and there are so many science-backed practices out there that don't require a lot of time or effort. And one can sure enough, find something that speaks to them and integrate into their day. And I think, you know, if you zoom out and look at our world in general, it seems like, you know, there's an explosion of health and wellness, yet we're getting sicker, we're getting 
fatter. We're not well. Why is that? And I think it's because the conversation largely has been about adding and not editing and helping meet people where they are. And we felt, you know, we're embedded in this space. It's our world. I'm wearing a whoop, but I'm wearing an aura ring. We sleep on an eight sleep mattress. Uh, we do all the things and we took a look at ourselves and say, wow, like we don't have time for everything that's out there and being preached on social media. This is insane. And this is our business. This is our mm -hmm. life. Like, let's get back to the base, the basics. And so much of the science speaks to that, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I did an article a few months ago that was about kind of that information overload where I wore like the aura, the whoop. I had a CGM on, I had a sweat rate patch. I had like every possible device I could possibly possibly think to use. I was so miserable for that like two months because it was just so much information that I just didn't even know what to do with it. I just had this like, you just have this vague sense that you should be measuring it, but then you get so many inputs coming at you that you just don't even know how to take action on it. And that's become such a, such a huge issue. Um, I love the phrase Kardashian wellness. Like that's hilarious to me. Um, we'll watch the Kardashians. We have, oh, enough, oh, we have love nothing them. against love them. them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and a big chunk of the book also, it's talking about like cutting through the noise and recognizing these like scams. And I say scams, even including the well-intentioned ones that aren't necessarily like actively trying to like steal your money and give you junk. It's just that it's, it's not maybe the most helpful thing for you and where you're at. Um, can you kind of speak about like what are some of like the trademarks of like if something is more on like the scammy side of wellness and what sure. people should be paying I, attention, looking out for? And, and, and I do think you are right. There are a lot of well-intentioned influencers or experts on the internet who really do want to help people. But I think when, you know, we're, we're humans and when people tend to, you know, get more likes, build a following, uh, the ego grows and some of those people can tend to go out of their area of expertise. And a big watch out for us in terms of those people or experts, if you will, they tend to go, they, they tend to speak with the same level of confidence on everything <laughs> and outside of their, on, and outside of their area of expertise. So if I, my expertise is say like gut health, they start veering into the brain or uh, mobility or what have you with the same level of confidence. There's no caveat. Well, that's not my area of expertise, but you know, from what I've read, the literature supports X, Y, and Z, but you know, I'd have to explore further. There's none of that. It's that mm -hmm. same level of confidence. And to me, that's the biggest watch out. And I think as people build their brands, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's a slippery slope. Um, I understand why, but it's a big watch out. I think it really all comes down to the algorithms and the incentives around the algorithms yeah. and that you are going to drive more engagement with a really strong point of view and, you know, perhaps being angrier than to come at it with like a really balanced, um, you know, kind of look at both the pros and the cons. And that's why you have a lot of people who are going very, very narrow and deep in kind of one thing. And that's the one thing they're going to talk about um, because they're incentivized to do so from an algorithm standpoint. I'll let Jason kind of share. Yeah, there, there was a study we referenced in the book uh, where researchers at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School analyzed the most emailed list of the New York Times. These are essentially like the most widely read articles in the world. They're shared. Everyone wants to be on the email list. 
and they think and they look to see if there were any patterns and then they classified the articles that made the list by emotion and sure enough there was a pattern and the top three were anxiety awe and anger guess what number one was anger anger increased virality by 34 percent this is the new york times i don't think the new york times is also unique here anger yeah. plays anger incites having a very strong point of view unfortunately drives engagement and helps build a brand and i think the system is broken here and it definitely trickles down to health and wellness we see it all the time there we live in extremes you know 100 carnivore 100 vegan uh not a lot of people out there making building a really powerful personal brand talking about the mediterranean diet and balance mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you too, but I know on our podcast, I always know an expert is good. If they caveat a bunch of phrase, like a bunch of answers with it depends. I'm always like, okay, you're, you're good. You're, <laughs> you're on the show. You're allowed back. Uh, it's when someone just has like the, yeah, very clear cut answer for absolutely everything. Like a very black and white that I'm like, oh, this is, this is not going to go fantastically. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, I think where we are, there, there's, there's just so much, so much nuance that's required in health and well-being. Uh, and I think anyone who just speaks in absolutes, there's always a little bit of a watch out for us. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, you've interviewed so many people on the podcast and, you know, on the website over the years. How do you how do you contend with the fact that, you know, your experts do have conflicting viewpoints? I think you do a really good job of, I think, holding ideas kind of gently and and letting people have their, their conflicting viewpoints. But how do you... Thank, well, th- thank you for <laughs> acknowledging that because... Look, we think it's important to have people. This is like old imagine a world in media. It's counterintuitive to actually have people who have different viewpoints. There are many podcasters and shows out there who just won't do that. Vegans who want to have people who aren't vegan, and the list goes on. I think it's important. I think there is, I think at this point, bulletproof evidence that, you know, that speaks to bio-individuality and we're all unique. And there are some 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 catch-alls or best practices that probably work for everyone, but there's a hell of a lot of nuance. Mm-hmm. And I think having different viewpoints is really important and should be part of any conversation in health, uh, obviously with some guardrails. But I think my buddy Green has always stood for that. Uh, some have called us the, you know, the UN of wellness. Um which we appreciate and we want to be that safe space that has a reasonable conversation and likes to have people with different points of view. Mm -hmm. I think there really needs to be a rallying cry for civil discourse among people who share conflicting points of view, like all of us living in our own algorithms where we're just fed our own beliefs is really not going to lead to any type of growth um, in terms of our own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I know that you two have also like kind of shifted some of your health stuff over the years. Can you give, maybe there's like an example of like something you believe firmly to be true when Mind Body Green first started and you've kind of like shifted your narrative on it. I think I just, I want to yeah. like illustrate this because I think people just believe so deeply that they have to like hang on to these chunks of their identity, even when they're no longer serving them. <laughs> Like where do we start on this one? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, the origin, the origin story of Mind Buddy Green. Uh, I, I had excruciating sciatica, L four, L five, S one, presbycusiatic nerve. It was an old basketball injury from college combined with stress and poor nutrition, and 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 then some. I couldn't walk. It was terrible. 
went to a doctor, said you need back surgery, nothing against surgery, but generally see it as a last resort, especially with back surgeries. Success rates are not good. Sought a second opinion and, and that doctor said the same thing. You need surgery. And it was almost like an afterthought. He's like, oh, maybe some yoga could help. And Colleen and I were dating at the time. Colleen had a yoga practice. So I said, all right, you know, I'll try some, some yoga. So like five to 10 minutes, light yoga, morning and evening, started to feel better. Over the course of six months, I completely healed. I went from couldn't walk to fine to this state. I've never had back surgery. And that was like very much the inspiration behind my buddy green. And afterwards I became like obsessed with yoga. Yoga was like, it like save, I could go so like it saved my life. Like it was, it was amazing. Yoga, yoga, yoga. I stopped strength training. I stopped doing everything else. I started to lean vegetarian, even vegan. I experimented with raw, like you name it. Um, and yoga was a huge part of my identity. And then as I got older, I started to notice one, I didn't have time for an hour and a half yoga class period yoga evolved evolved to 10 to 15 minutes tops like on the weekends once we have kids now it's like five minutes twice a day twice a twice a week <laughs> and you know i started to become focused on resistance training and maintaining muscle mass as i age i noticed i started to lose it and the the why there isn't necessarily about like vanity or maintaining muscle mass which which is you know that that's a plus it's this horrific stat that we we came across. It's about, you know, falling. If you're over the age of 65, there's a 25% chance you'll fall. If you fall once, your chances of falling again double. If you fall and break your hip, there's a 30 to 40% chance you die within a year. Not necessarily from the fall itself, but from the com complications from surgery or infection or depression from being immobile. And with two little kids, you know, I'm 49, we have little girls. I would have been able to pick up a grandkid maybe someday if we're blessed, a 30 pounder. And that requires strength and mobility. And I know you've had the starettes on and that just became my why behind strength training. Like I want to be strong as I age so I can do the things I want to do. And sarcopenia is real. Up to 13% yes. of their people in their 60s suffer from it, half living with it in their 80s. You lose bone density 1% a year after age 40. So like, this is a big deal. And I started, I was like, wow, like I'm losing some muscles here. Yeah. Yeah. I and I mean, and it's not as though you weren't active, right? Like you're doing yoga and you know, all of most of our listeners are cyclists, but cycling very low impact. So, you know, it's, it, that's the drum we're always beating is like the strength training because yeah, like the, the cycling, the yoga, like that's not going to build that yeah. up or protect it. Once we hit and that then, age where it starts going down. And then once you start talking about maintaining and building lean muscle mass, the conversation invariably leads to protein consumption. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I think that has been one of the biggest shifts and I'm somewhat fascinated by how these cultural waves kind of take over the zeitgeist for a moment in time. And, you know, we were in New York in the 2010s when there was a very heavy kind of vegan vegetarian slant and simultaneously a very heavy yoga slant. And I do think that these cultural patterns between movement and nutrition tend to go hand in hand. And so I had evolved my, you know, eating to probably not consuming enough, even of the RDA standards of protein. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my second child, when my doctor was like, whoa, like your kid's not getting enough weight. We really need to look at our protein intake. That was kind of one of those first signs in your body that like something isn't quite right. 
And, you know, I'm still working on my protein intake. It is not something that comes naturally to me, but I'm really grateful that there are people who are starting to speak more to, to women and what their unique needs are, because a lot of times there's things that I maybe sense in my body. And then it's not until, um, you know, I'll, I'll hear an expert where I'm like, yes, that is why I'm not needing as much cardio. That is why I'm fine just getting in my 10,000 steps and not pushing myself and really just working on the weight on, on weight training. So between protein consumption and just kind of how I move, those have been the two biggest shifts over a decade. And I think what's so unique about women and what's not studied enough is there are just so many transitions in life where your body can tell you sometimes through whispers, sometimes through, you know, much louder thumps that what you're doing isn't quite working. So we always need to try to maintain those intuitive muscles to understand what our body needs and, and doesn't need anymore. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, it really shouldn't be until pregnancy when that's getting figured out, right? Like it totally. shouldn't take like the fact that you're growing another human for someone to look at you and be like, Hey, maybe you need this. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, I mean, on an individual level, you have so many inputs coming in from all these different experts. You're, you know, getting so many books, so many experts on the podcast, just so much stuff coming in. How do you two decide what you're going to trial, what you're going to test out? Like, what are you going to take action on? Because I imagine you could wake up every day and have a laundry list of like, I'm going to try these 30 new things. You know, I think it really does go where our curiosity leads us um, in terms of what sounds interesting, what has good science, um, and what is something uh, that we think we could implement. I don't have a ton of obstacles that I set up around trying something once. I think the test is how does it become a sticky part time. of our routine? Time is an obstacle. A time <laughs> is an obstacle to maintaining something yeah. as part of your routine, but trial all the time. Love it. Um, so you know, it really comes back to like, what are those things that can become part of your life? And I do think that changes through the seasons of children, through the seasons of life, through the literal seasons of it's dark outside now earlier, and it's not as much fun to walk. Um, so our routines, I'm going to speak for myself. My routine is, you know, so simple in terms of trying to focus on my protein. Sleep is an ongoing sleep. Fitness is something I think a lot about and care deeply about getting in strength training, um, which is a new muscle for me. And I'm so glad there's a generation of girls who are growing up with seeing women and moms in the gym, lifting heavy things and kind of having those role models. Cause that didn't exist, um, when I was growing up and I was a girl. Um, so those are kind of my, my staples and, um, you know, adding in purpose and community and IRL connection, because I think now more than ever, um, you know, I, I've realized the importance of that, not just for my own life, but for everyone. You know, for me, walking is paramount. I am a walker. If I don't get my 10,000 steps a day, I'm a grumpy dinosaur. Uh, sleep fitness is huge for me. Uh, I've been blessed with being an okay sleeper. Um, but that, so that's a big one. Uh, resistance training is now part of my routine. I'm three to five days a week, but I'm always quick. I'm like 15 minutes to 30 minutes max, but I go hard and I'm out. Um, a new one, and I've done a 180 on this since the book. So you're first to hear about it publicly. Oh, uh, You know, we talked about the benefits of cold therapy in the book, but we made a point of saying we don't do it because we don't enjoy it. And whatever you do should bring you joy. 
And so something else I look at in terms of what do I incorporate in my routine is like, what's going on physiologically? I, I do extensive blood work twice a year. And in my recent labs, I found that my testosterone dropped from, it was like in the six, high 500s or 600s, and then it dropped to low 400s. And I'm 49, so like your testosterone is going to drop, but you know, I, I would like to avoid any sort of medication if possible. I always believe lifestyle first. Nothing against mm -hmm. medication, it works. I actually think mm -hmm. those worlds are colliding. And I have seen a lot about cold plunge, cold, cold therapy, and how it could increase testosterone. So my own N of one test, I said, you know what, let's try this. I started recently doing the cold plunge. I'm blessed to have a gym, a great gym mm -hmm. in Miami Anatomy, and they have a cold plunge. It's across the street. Started three, three to five times a week, three to four minutes. And in a month, my testosterone went from 420 to 590. There's no other modifications right, in terms right. of diet or lifestyle. And so I'm like, let's just keep on going to see what happens. So that's an example, like to your earlier question, like, is there something going on physio like with my body that like I'm trying to work on? And then I will try to incorporate that into my routine. Mm -hmm. Have you managed to find any joy in it? Have you figured out a way to make it less I, terrible you know, for you? I, I I kind of enjoy it now. Uh, I get endorsement. I get a, a nice sense of focus and clarity after. Um, so so yes, I, I have found enjoyment in, in it. Um, so I've done a one eighty, and I think, unfortunately. I'm a little unique there. We're a little bit unique because there are very few people in the world will ha have a strong point of view. We talked touched on this earlier about something and then and then say, you know what? I've done a 180. I tried mm -hmm. it. I liked it. I've got results. It happens, yeah. but not as frequently as it should. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. Um, okay, Colleen, I want to ask you about making friends because clearly you've managed to like find some in real life community. You know, you did just move 18 months ago. How does one make friends as an adult in a new community? What What's the secret? I mean, the secret is intentionality. I, I think being in a new city, you have this expat almost vibe and mentality and um, you really have to put yourself out there in situations that I probably didn't do for 13 years um, when I lived in Brooklyn. Um, and there's a recent Cygnus study. So this is pre-pandemic from 2019 that said only half of Americans say they have meaningful daily face-to-face -face social interaction. And can you just imagine what that statistic is now? It's really scary. Uh, yeah. um, so, you know, it's being intentional, kind of, kind of having to put yourself in the in the place of making the first move. I've read a great Wall Street Journal article about how women are now calendaring their IRL time with girlfriends with the same precision that they do their work day. And I think that's just like a great way of making sure it happens because without that intention, of course, it's like the first thing you take off the calendar and forget. And um, I think because of the situation where we live in Miami with a lot of people who have recently moved, there's a great openness to connect. So typically when you put yourself out there, it's well-received. Um, I think if I had done that in New York, it might've been a little bit harder in full transparency. Um, but I really think strong social connections are such an important pillar of health and well-being. And, and Colleen is good at this and <laughs> I am not as good. I am working on it. And men are generally terrible about keeping in touch one in seven men don't have a single friend 
Oh, I literally set up Peter's play dates for him, and he's going to be very embarrassed that I just said that. But that's a hundred percent what happens. So, and men men lose touch; they're 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 less likely to get back on the phone. They're also less likely to share, like when they're hurting, and and it's it's one that you know I think can be as easy. We tend not to think of it this way as a simple text message. If you're a man, just say like, "Hey, hey, hey, John." It's been, it's been too long, been thinking about you for X, Y, and Z, hope you're well, would love to, you know, catch up sometime. And I think you'll find out pretty quickly if someone's open to making the connection. I, this is a, a big plus of technology and texting. Yeah. 20 years ago, you'd maybe have to pick up the phone and then you hear a voice, you know, hello, John, who, who is this? Crank call, you know, this awkward Ask silence. Mom no, to put them on. Like, oh. Yeah, sim- simple, simple text. And as we think about health, you know, we don't talk about connection enough. There's a loneliness epidemic. Uh, being lonely is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, having six drinks a day. That's 42 drinks a week. Uh, so it, it, it's bad. It's three times worse than being physically inactive and four times worse than being obese. So no matter what your motivation is, <laughs> whether it's health or actually just the true enjoyment of being around other people, um, it pays to, to ha- make time for that IRL connection. And, yeah. you know, so much of the conversation around biohacking and longevity, it's so rigid in these protocols. And it's like, yeah, if I did immediately without helping the kids got morning sunlight and then a cold plunge and then, you know, did my my sprinting and then said, I'm here, Colleen would say, we're getting divorced. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, the, this idea of joy, of like meaningful connection, I think a lot in this space are a little bit tone deaf too right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking, like bringing this up because I think, yeah, it is like kind of the the missing piece for sure. Now, have you seen anything about like, you know, you're, you guys just moved from New York to Miami. I'm up here in Canada. A lot of my old friends are, you know, down in New Jersey and Massachusetts. So I do spend a fair bit of time like on FaceTime and on text. And I know that doesn't replace in real life, but have you seen anything about like, does it approximate it? Does it come close? Is it better than nothing? What's our thought? I mean, I think it would always be better than nothing, but there was an interesting anecdote that was in, um, Kate Fagan's book, What Made Maddie Run, um, that was showing the difference from a mother sending a text message to a child. And when you actually had the mother's touch of saying, you know, how are you? Everything's going to be okay. There's such a measurable difference in oxytocin levels than just sending a text that had those same words. So text is probably better than than any than nothing but i think the problem comes when it's the replacement or the only thing and you're missing the ability um to have human physical touch or contact or to truly look in someone's eyes and and see that you know all that said you know technology is never binary our grandparents my set of parents live on the west coast i'm very grateful for facetime to be able for my kids to be able to have those conversations and get a little bit closer to their grandparents it's just unfortunately not a replacement for for irl connection for sure for sure um okay and you both mentioned the phrase sleep fitness which i love because i think it reframes sleep as uh something much more badass than we tend to think of it as Um, talk to me about best sleep practices. You know, we all know quiet, dark, cool, but 
Are there any other like this top tips? Yeah, yeah. Your, your yeah. Ones. yeah, I had a very personal kind of experience with sleep. It's something I struggled with for 20 years. In my early 20s, I ended up, um, you know, in, basically in the ER because I hadn't been able to sleep for a couple of nights in a row. And I thought I was literally um, going crazy. And, you know, the doctor there gave me a Xanax and that was kind of where my sleep etiquette, you know, started and stopped. And um, there's 33% of us in America who don't get enough sleep between 50 and 70 million US adults who have some sort of sleep disorder, um, the most common of which is insomnia. So this is something that's really impacting so many families and households. And so much of it, you know, the fundamentals of course are important. Um, you already mentioned a lot of them in terms of keeping a bedroom cool, um, the right sleeping temperature, the right, you know, making sure that a phone is not in the room, if that's something that you struggle with, um, being thoughtful about your exercise and kind of understanding how it impacts your own sleep patterns. Some people, you know, thrive from getting a big workout in earlier in the day, it exhausts them for sleep. Other people, they exercise too late, then they're wired. And I think it comes down to something very individual that trackers can help you like interpret through the noise. Um, as I get older, I'm 44 now, you know, unfortunately I see the impact of alcohol on my sleep. And I did need to have an aura ring for a couple of weeks to be able to, you know, see that horrific data, um, to be able to make some changes. So I I'm not suggesting that everyone give up alcohol, but when I do drink, it tends to be at lunch. Um, so that, uh, giving everyone here some permission to day drink, um, because it has wow. less of an impact on my sleep. And so uh, but, I can get some strange looks at brunch, but you know, so be but, it. But we always say, if you don't drink, don't start. Uh, but if you do like a drink, it's better to have it earlier in the day and, and whoop and aura support that if you look at the data, uh, and another big one is meal timing, you know, try to have at least three hours and I think size of dinner plays a role. If you have a huge dinner late at night, that's going to affect your sleep. Uh, and, I, and this is where I do think the wearables uh, are really helpful to help people get an understanding. Then I think you need to take a hard look at your personality. Uh, if if it's creating anxiety, probably not for you every day. But if you enjoy it, uh, I do. I, I, I wear both and I look at them immediately in the morning. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing too, is you actually like action them. I think there's a lot of people yes. that get the, the whoop and the aura ring and they, they now know that they shouldn't have the two glasses of wine after 8 PM, but they're still going to do it. Like they, yes. they don't actually make the changes. Oh. So love, like, like that's step one. <laughs> and, there, and there's some days when, you know, we'll knowingly go into a night and be like, Hey, like tomorrow's going to be rough. Let's, you know, exactly. let's mm -hmm. enjoy life. Um, and, and that's great too, because at the end of the day, if you're walking around super optimized, but unjoyful and not connecting with family and friends, that's not, that's not a life well lived. If you're going out to a dinner or a celebration and you're going to have a big meal and it's going to be late or a glass of wine or cocktail or a beer or whatever it might be, go in and enjoy it and just reconcile like the fact that your score is not going to be great. And that's okay. Cause it's worth it. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that every night. Yes. Yeah. And I, I was actually going to say, we are heading into the holiday time as this is going to come out. Uh, any any thoughts for being mindful during the holidays while still leaning leaning in? I, in I, I think there's so much of ritual around food that should be celebrated and enjoyed. And how do you come at it, you know, from, from that mindset of abundance and, and not coming at it from one of restriction? You know, we, we try to maintain somewhat regular movement schedules, not because it's 
just because it makes us feel good. So getting in the walks in between meals. Um, but I think holidays, especially now, are just really meant to be celebrated among friends and family. So I would never want someone to kind of deprive themselves of, of something that was really meaningful from a tradition standpoint. And I think our view, we like to enjoy all of the things that are on the, you know, quote unquote naughty list. You know, a great piece of bread, a great dessert. I love donuts, uh, a great glass of wine, what, whatever it is, everyone's got their 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 thing they like to indulge in. And I think our, our view here is if you're going to indulge, make sure it's amazing. Like if I'm going to have a donut, it's going to be an amazing donut. I'm not going to settle for a crappy donut or the same goes for a glass of wine. If it's a bad glass of wine, I'm just not going to drink it. Like if I'm going to have it, I'm going to make sure it really counts, mm-hmm. you know, bread it's going to be like amazing sourdough or rye not like a piece of wonder bread you know it's got to be really good and really worth it i'm going to savor it and enjoy it and make it count and i'm not going to just mindless mindlessly consume something in the that you know naughty bucket yeah i don't even like the word naughty because i don't want to like you know make people feel guilty or ashamed because to me our view here is and this is a word choice i apologize for saying naughty because i'm contradicting myself we believe in treat, not hmm. cheat. Ooh, love it. Love it. Like oh. operate from a place of abundance, not scarcity. Enjoy it. Don't mm-hmm. feel guilty about it. Yeah. Well, and I think that place of abundance actually helps because when you have like that scarcity, I think you actually tend to overdo it where you're like, oh, this is like the one time I'm going to do it. So I'm going to have like 30 cookies and then you just end up sick and unhappy with it. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> versus yeah, like, you're going to have a cookie, have an amazing cookie. Yeah. Like, you can't get a cookie from Levain Bakery. Iconic yeah. in New York for New Yorkers listening. But. Yeah. <laughs> or grandma's pie, whatever is, whatever is on, on offer. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the other complete non sequitur topic I wanted to talk to you too about is kids. So we don't have any, I will caveat this, but my big thing is I actually write books for young girls that are all very sport focused with this idea of like trying to keep young girls in sport because they tend to drop out at like appallingly high rates between the ages of like eight and 12. So I hear you talk a lot on your podcast about how you want to have strong girls. So what are some of the key ways that you're working to develop these, these strong girls? And obviously when we say strong, we mean physically and mentally. We're not just talking about like giant biceps by the time they're 10. That's great. I mean, that could be part of it too. That's great. Yeah. No judgment. Genetics does play a role here. Yeah. That's, I mean, that large, was me. That was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, kind of distilled across all the ways in which we live our life. So there's a lot of modeling going on where um, our kids see us working out. We try to work out in the house. Sometimes we bring them down to the gym with us. They know mom and dad work out, go on walks. And that is something that we talk about. They're four and almost seven. So we are in a phase of exploration where it's like, try everything. Like you got to try a sport. I don't really care what it is, but try it. See if you like it. Be active. Um, you know, and within sports right now, it's really about learning how to be a team player, you know, how to win, how to lose and, and being a good, being a good player on the field right now is kind of all that matters because we really just want to encourage them to have that joy, um, to enjoy a sport so that they actually do want it to carry on. It was such a formative experience for me personally. And there's so much data. I mean, I share your passion about girls in sports and kind of their future career trajectory. And what we're so grateful to live in a world in right now is we were able to share with our daughters 
when Nebraska broke the world record for having 92,000 people watch a women's volleyball game on a football field. And that was not happening when I was a girl. So I think we're living in a wonderful renaissance of girls sports where there's just going to be so many incredible, inspiring opportunities for them. So, so we definitely really try to show them strong women, you know, whether it be showing them the highlights of that world record-breaking Nebraska volleyball so game cool. to watching, you know, they both like soccer and volleyball, women's college soccer and volleyball locally at the University of Miami. We take them, we don't take them to men, we take them to women, <laughs> nice. take them to, to games or matches, whether it's there's something on ESPN plus that they can watch. Like we definitely will, we don't do a lot of TV, but I'll make an exception. Like if they want to watch a women's sports, like let's watch together. And I will will try to reiterate, like, look how strong they are. Look how fast they are. Look at all the people who came out to watch them. Uh, they both really like sports, so we'll play with them. Uh, I've purchased two of the, like the the uh, the plyometric like foam boxes to like do jumps. So we'll do because we live in an apartment. We're we're renting an apartment, so like we'll do those in the house and they'll do their plyometric jumps, and it's a game and they have fun and. We will always reiterate like at bedtime or in the car, you know, our little, our, our affirmations, you know, I'm strong, I'm beautiful, but we start with strong. We always start with strong, strong, beautiful, smart, kind, creative. Uh, I help people. I, I protect my family. I help people and I can do anything. Those are affirmations. I love um, that. <laughs> and, and, they, and they, and they're into it and they really enjoy it. And we continuously like reinforce this idea uh, that work ethic is tied to results. And if you love something and you want it to be good, you have to practice. Our youngest one loves Messi, you know, loves, he's like the exception. She's like, Messi's the best. Like, I don't want to talk about <laughs> girls. Messi's the best. We live in Miami. He's taking over the city. And we're like, why do you think he's so good? He practices every day. He's been practicing since he was seven. every day. So if you want to be good, you got to practice. Uh, and so we just love, we both grew up playing competitive sports we just love uh what it can do for confidence uh and the life lessons and the worlds it can open and especially for women and i think it's just women are having women's sports are having a renaissance it's okay to be strong and forceful and that's amazing and so we are huge supporters of women's sports and we're lucky that we have two girls who so seem far seem into it so we'll, we will continue to lean in heavily I love it. I love it. Okay. Now I'm going to challenge you and say like, what happens if they're, they stop being into sports. So I was like a super unathletic kid. Like you could not have paid me to do a sport. My mom once took me to like soccer or something. And I just sat and cried till they called her to take me home. So that's the, like, that's the space I come from. So yeah. Any, any tips for like, how do you think you would handle if your kids were just like, nope, done, hate sports, don't want to play. And I, I think it's about finding each kid's spark. You know, we happen to have two kids who are living in an area that is primed for sports. <laughs> South Florida is to sports um, as like Wall Street is to Manhattan. It is part of the DNA of mm -hmm. where we live. So they are, they are very primed for it. But like, I think it's about finding every kid's spark. And it may not be sports for a lot of kids. It may not be academics for a lot of kids. It may not 
you know, it could be art, it could be something completely unique. I think what we're very aware of as we parent our children is that the world they live in is so drastically different than the one we grew up in. Who knows what college is going to look like? What What is the goal of all this stuff? Because the goalposts are changing at a really rapid rate. Um, and I think you know, what, how we think of college and careers has already changed so dramatically over the past two decades. And by the time they come of age for this, who knows what it's going to be? You know, I I think for our kids specifically, unfortunately, or fortunately, I think they're both hardwired for for sports in different (laughs) ways, not their, but for different sports, they're both very competitive. Um, And, but if I, if we had a child that it was necessarily into sports or touch and go. I, I, I like would zoom out. And I think, you know, your job as a parent is, you know, ultimately like protect your child, but I think, you know, create an environment where you can expose your child to lots of things. And your job is to help them find the thing that brings them joy and, and help them become really good at it. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, you know, it's their job, you know, how do you find what, what brings you joy and how do you become really good at it? And then later on in life, how do you make a living doing it? I think that's like the, 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 ultimate. the, the, the ultimate. So, mm-hmm. no, I love that. And I think the point, the find your spark, I really like, because I think a lot of parents, you know, we naturally want kids to do the thing that like lights us up. So, you know, we have a lot of cyclists that listen to yeah. this. So of course, like, you know, we all want our kids to get into cycling, um, but maybe that's that's not the thing for the kid. I feel like it, kids go one way or the other. They either really want to do what the parent is doing or they really do not want to do what the parent is doing. They oh want to do the polar opposite. But I think there's still plenty of other options out there other than uh, yes. the ones yeah. where you like. I'm so grateful our girls live in a world where, you know, literally one of the holidays at school is dot day, which encourages every kid to find like what it is in that spark. And, you know, these were again, like not conversations that were happening in in elementary schools when I was growing up where, you know, they're creating a world where there is such, such optimism and optionality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Last thing is you mentioned your kids are competitive. How do you, how do you keep them in that like healthy competitive space without, uh, you know, obviously they're quite young, so I'm not, burnout might be kind of pushing it as a phrase for them, but I mean, you know, in a couple of years, that's going to become a really real thing, especially with the way school sports are these days. Like, it seems like kids are suddenly on like a pro track when they're like nine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're very mindful of that. And there are certain sports that in our view, we're off limits for our family because of that track. So like tennis and swimming specifically, which Colleen has direct experience in participating in, are sports where the track starts very early and it is super intense. But it's more for us, though, in addition to that, that it's an individual sport. And so many of the life lessons are are learned through teammates, through winning together, celebrating together, losing together. Um, and there's you know, higher risks of mental health. There's mental health across all sports now, but it's higher in sports like tennis and golf where you're literally on your own. So, you know, luckily our, our children haven't gravitated to those worlds. So we're trying to keep them in, in the team world. And, 
you know, being aware of the environments we put them, put them in. So that's being mindful of, okay, is it too early to be doing this amount of games? Is it, you know, hurting our family's ability to go to the beach and have fun for a day? So we've made a lot of choices to kind of optimize for having fun um, while still getting in, you know, great fundamentals and the footwork stuff at other times. And I think our view is you don't, is to wait as long as possible before necessarily committing and going yeah. all in on that track. Mm-hmm. One of my regrets, even though I think the timing was probably appropriate in line with people do is I went all in on basketball in ninth grade and I quit everything else. And I was, I enjoyed other sports, specifically lacrosse. I was quite good at it, but I just gave it up like that because I was under the impression that I had to play all the time. And ninth grade is, you know, borderline appropriate, but in retrospect, I I should have continued to play because I really enjoyed the game. I was lucky enough I got to play it. I had a second chance of playing it later. But I think this idea of if you like other, if you like lots of things and they bring you joy, do them for as long as possible. Because ultimately they make you a better person, and a better athlete. So if, if something brings your brings you joy, continue to do it for as long as possible. At some point, you probably have to specialize, but I, I think you delay it as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's so much opportunity. You must see this in in Miami. So much opportunity, even as adults, to get back into some of these things that you really loved as a kid, or even like versions of them. Um, and I think we, we kind of miss out on play a lot of the time. I think, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this, they're very endurance sport focused. They kind of have their track, but I don't know. I see these people picking up pickleball and it sort of feels like I'm like, maybe I should try this out. I don't know. Highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. I feel it. Like me and anything with balls and hand-eye coordination, it's not good, but <laughs> might, might Fair. still happen. Okay. Last question. Your kids are in these sports. How do you make time? for you two to do athletic things when they have their their busy sport schedules because this is definitely a question a lot of parents are asking we, we... We're, we're, we're at the the early stage and i, I <laughs> with a little bit of trepidation um you know kind of my friends whose kids are on the schedule on the tournament schedule you know insert whatever sport there's an age regardless of what it is that that level of intensity comes i was having um coffee with someone whose kids were 11 and 13 and she was explaining to me how she was essentially creating a gym out of her car so that whenever she was at a tournament she had her band she had her weights she had her box and she could get her workouts in because she did you know, have that same sentiment that our kids' um, athletic schedule was impacting our own workout schedule. So I think but, there's a level of uh, but flexibility. In, but in terms of our athletic schedule, Colleen does very much enjoy pickleball. I enjoy it. And it's definitely fell by the wayside. It is not yet cemented into our rotation. And it's something we think about and are determined to figure out a way in the future. But we look, we we, we haven't been able to. And, and I also have like just become comfortable with the understanding of our, our kids are four and six. I keep on saying seven, but she's not seven yet. And uh, like we are in it. And there's various life stages where you can kind of over index on the fun stuff for yourself. And I fully understand that that is not my current life stage. But I enjoy getting, you know, to the next stages where we can have more time for our own beach volleyball and our own pickleball games. But we also realize this is like the golden age where our kids are young and like really want to hang out with us. 
and that's not going to be forever. Mm -hmm. And other parents we know where the kids maybe 10 or 11 and it starts, it goes by fast and then they're on play dates or they don't want to hang out with you or they're embarrassed. And so we're very much, you know, look, there are sometimes they drive us absolutely crazy, but we still try to like be conscious of like this, this is the time to like do fun things as a family, like go to the beach and really not do much. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very jealous that you have beach access year round (laughs) where you are. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, let everyone know where they can find you, where they can get the book, where they can check out Mind Body Green, all of the things. Sure. So the, the book is that the joy of wellbeing.com. You can see all the booksellers, you know, including Amazon and every major bookseller. Uh, and my buddy green is everywhere. Mindbuddygreen.com. Uh, same handle, my buddy green on Instagram. We got the my buddy green podcast. Uh, we're, we're everywhere on the internet. And then personally, we're just at Colleen Wachob, W A C H O B, and at Jason Wachob on uh, Instagram. Awesome. Thank you two so much for hanging out with me. This was such a fun conversation. Got to go all over the place. So thank you. Well, you're very kind. Thanks thank you so, so much, much, Molly. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.